Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. I'm Richard Bliss. You're listening to episode 78 of Funding the Dream as we um, barrel our way towards 100. This week, or excuse me, this episode has been something uh, unique and interesting. You know, the whole concept around 3D printers and what they can do has been really catching the imagination of a lot of people. One of those people who's out there who understands how magical a 3D printer can be uh, is Matt Strong, serial entrepreneur and the um, creator of the project Tangibot, and he joins us on our show. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, this is pretty cool. You, um, your background, so just so pe- folks know, you have a project out on Kickstarter called the Tangibot, T-A-N-G-I-B-O-T. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us just briefly, what is the Tangibot? What's the concept here? Uh, well, the Tangibot is a 3D printer. And for those of you that might not be familiar with 3D printing, it basically uh, squirts out plastic, the, the same type of plastic that's used in Lego bricks, uh, and it forms all kinds of different shapes. Um, I've printed uh, parts to fix things around the house, uh, to toys and games for my kids. Uh, and it's, the Tangibot is actually based on an open source design, a very popular one that was made popular by MakerBot Industries. Okay, so explain to people... Okay, so let's take the 3D printer first. So this concept, and this is fairly new as an, as actual, as an executional idea. I always think of the, the fifth element, the movie, uh, they rebuilt with a, uh, with a uh, 3D printer, the, exoske- the human skeleton of the, of the main character. That's the way I always mm-hmm. think about it. But how, how recent has this whole 3D printing thing been available? Well, 3D printing itself um, has its roots in, in rapid prototyping, and rapid prototyping has been around for decades. Uh, I used machines similar to this when I was in college, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, and the technology at that point had already been around for decades. Uh, and the way I kind of like to describe it to people, the particular technology that, that I'm focusing on is called FDM, or Fused Deposition Modeling, and that's a real fancy word, but I'm going to describe it in a very simple term. Uh, if you can imagine like a glue gun, everybody pretty much knows what a glue gun is. Um, if you put a glue gun down and draw a shape on like a piece of paper or something and then wait for that to cool and then move the glue gun up a little bit and draw another shape on top of that, you start building something from the bottom up. And that's pretty much the way that these 3D printers work. Um, they have just become available uh, for kind of personal use, uh, mostly in the last five years or so. Okay. Uh, there have been a lot, lot of small groups that have started up, kind of open source groups. The RepRap project was one. Um, and then you've got uh, MakerBot that's really popularized this in the last three years or so. Okay. Uh, so let's, let's, and, let, let me just clarify sure. then. So the glue gun concept I've got down, uh, in the, your case, yours does plastic, but I've also heard of 3D printers that do metal as well. That's correct. There are lots of technologies out there. There's Stereolithography, which is one technology that uses lasers to cure a resin, which gives you plastic parts. Uh, there are other powder-based technologies where you actually kind of have a, a powder metal that is bound together using a glue, and then you take that metal and you sinter it in an oven, and it and it actually create a metal part. So the the technology we're talking about is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there are printers like these being used in production facilities to actually produce end products right okay, so now, highly what, customizable products. So what's the normal cost of a printer that does one of these things? What's the normal cost of, involved with that? Are you talking about like a production grade type, professional grade type so, printer? Yeah, so if I wanted to, so yeah, traditionally a 3D printer, you said has been around 15, 20 years. 
What mm-hmm. kind of costs are associated with those, that type of equipment that's been around so long? About a, they carry the price tag of about a hundred thousand okay. dollars for a unit. Um, there, there's you can find some down now around twenty thousand that are much smaller, uh, but they're still just way out of the price range of your average consumer. Okay, and so what you've done is uh, you've taken put on Kickstarter this idea of helping people have a three D printer. Now. You mentioned the term open source. I have a software background. You have a technical background. But for people who are listening, they've heard this term open source. What's your definition of open source? What does that mean? Um, well, I, 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 it's, it's interesting. I, open source uh, actually has its roots in what was called free software. Long time ago, free software is, is, is what they this group of people got together and decided, hey, we're going to design something that's just free. And what they meant by free was not free as in money. Like in Spanish, it would be the word gratis, right? It, it, that means free. They meant free as in like libre, like free as in freedom. So the idea was we're going to create this software that is free to be used by anybody in any way. And that's kind of the beginning of open source. Uh, and it's, it's really changed a lot because it's migrated from software all the way into what is now hardware. So like the, the mechanical design of the Tangibot, for example, is open source hardware. And the, the basic idea of this is everybody can contribute and everybody can benefit and everybody can use it in any way they want to. Okay, so let's talk about this open source because this is kind of the core of what uh, some of the innovation here that you've done. So, for example, for those who aren't listening... Uh, the word Linux, they've probably heard Linux. Linux is an open source uh, operating system that you can use. You can make modifications to it. The rules are if you make modifications, you have to make those modifications f- free, libre, free to the community to continue to use. Um, and so that software, Linux, now shows up in millions and millions of devices that people use every day, and that is the Android operating system. Is that fairly correct? Is that kind of open source evolution when it comes to software to something that people are using that we all know? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great example. Uh, okay. so, yeah, who, yeah, so they're giving away their operating system. It's open source, and you can make – that's why we see so many different variations of an Android because people can just – just modify it, change it, and that type of thing. And now what you're saying is... Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry, sorry I don't mean to interrupt. But, the, I mean, Linux is a great example because it's, it's probably in all of your satellite receivers. It's probably in all of your... Well, Java's another one, right? And it's probably in all of your, you know, Blu-ray players. They're, most of the roots of this, because of the ease of sharing software on the Internet, uh, is, is open source is really kind of designed around software. That's why the word source is there. You know, the, the source code for software is referred to as source. So uh, it's... It's all around us, and it's used very frequently in commercial products. But now it's starting to show up in open-sourced hardware. And how does that? How is that different? If, um, if, if there wasn't open-source hardware, what would the what what can you do with open-source hardware that you couldn't do if open-source hardware wasn't there? Well, open-source hardware is is, is really just. Um, a, another form of the design, right? For example, in software, when someone shares their source code with you, you're going to get a file that has all of these syntax codes and all this information in there that then you can alter, you can compile it in a different way. I mean, you can, uh, you can do anything you want. But as you pointed out, if you make a change to it, if you improve it, you have to give that, you're required by law to give that change back to the community. And that's why people do open source is is to get to the benefit of a lot of users contributing back. 
Um, but you generally, it's only really high-end technical consumers that give back or t- technical people and not your average consumer. Your average consumer is not going to go out and branch the Linux clone, or Linux code and create a brand new operating system like Android. You know, that took some very technical people at Google that handled all of that. Um, but open source hardware isn't, isn't code on a page. It's CAD files. Um, it's bill of materials. And a bill of materials is basically a list of all the materials that go into a product. Um, and CAD files, you know, are the geometric designs of the parts. Uh, it's assembly parameters. Uh, it might be PCB designs and, or, and or microcontroller selection. So, so to give a kind of a, a, a funny or silly example, if KFC decided to open source uh, the kernel's secret recipe, what you're saying is that's what it is. It's They would publish this recipe and say, here is how you make KFC finger-licking chicken good. Yeah, and, well, that, that, that is, it is a good example. It, it, that's still probably a little closer to the software because it's just paper, you know, data on a page where the hardware portion is – is all the stuff that usually gets patented. Maybe that's a good way of kind of describing it, right? It's, I design a part that's got certain shapes and features for certain reasons, and I go and I patent it. And they, people just decided, hey, what if I don't patent it? What if I just share it with everybody? I'll get the benefit because people are going to make improvements, and I'll get to benefit from those improvements. And, and that's just kind of how, you know, how the open source hardware community works. Got it. All right, so you, what you did is you have access to open source um, Hardware, hardware, uh-huh. and yep. you decided that you you wanted to do a Kickstarter project and make a 3D printer on Kickstarter. And as Correct. We've, as we've talked about, there were some words that you used about kind of what. And I'm going to just ask you, what inspired you to do this? Um, well, you know, I've been out of school for over 10 years now. I worked in product development all of my career, and. Uh, the joke around my house is still my wife and I say, you know, it's uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, I've always had entrepreneurial aspirations. Uh, you know, I appreciate you introducing me as a serial entrepreneur at the beginning, but this is, this is kind of my first stab at, at entrepreneuring, if that's a, that's a real word. Um, but I, you know, I, I've always wanted to know, I've always, I have lots of ideas. In fact, I have notebooks full of ideas and none of them ever seem to mesh with my background my skills, and it just seems like all of my experience. And um, recently, you know, three months ago, when uh, I found myself on a reduced income and uh, decided that, hey, if I'm going to, you know, work for free for, uh, for, a, for a company, for some friends of mine, I might as well try and work for free for myself at the same time and, and decided, you know what, if I can't decide what kind of a product to make, I've always had this fascination with 3D printing, so why not make a product that makes products? Why not make something that lets other people figure out how they want to make things? Um, and it was, you know, it was really rewarding because a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, I was already about three and a half months, maybe three months into this project, but um, I was surfing around YouTube and I stumbled across a video uh, of a little girl who had a disease she was born with some kind of a disease that, that left her with no body strength. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm not, I didn't, I, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but she couldn't lift her arms. Uh, and, um, there's a research group, uh, that had access to a 3d printer, a medical research group. And they, they printed out an exoskeleton, a very lightweight exoskeleton made of plastic. Um, and 
used rubber bands to help her support her own body weight. And when you watch the video, and I'm sure you can find it on, on YouTube, just go look for 3D printed exoskeleton. Uh, it, she can move and she, she's happy and, and she can pick things up and she can feed herself and she can play in school. And I thought, wow, if more people had access to 3D printing, what other amazing things just like that could we see happen? Uh, and, and that story about little girl kind of struck home with me a little bit because I, I had a daughter who was born very early, one pound, five ounces, uh, 15 weeks early. So she weighed one pound, five ounces. And, and I just thought, what if the doctors at the hospital, the uh, occupational therapists that worked with my daughter to make her strong and healthy, what if they had access to a tool like a 3D printer where they could make something to help my daughter or anybody get well or get better, or, you know, who knows, maybe someone designs a new pen or who knows what it is, but there's something very magical about having an idea and a picture in your head and then being able to actually hold it in your hand an hour or two later when it's done printing. And that's kind of, that's kind of what I want to do. I want to see more people have access to this type of technology because it's just amazing. I'm going to agree with you. There's something magical about the idea of, of seeing something conceived. I've, I've seen, as people have started to make uh, board game pieces and things like that, 3D printers yep. can make and create things that cannot be manufactured outside, that you can create things in the 3D space on your computer that can't exist per se in reality. Uh, That's true. And then, and then, but you can print them. And then suddenly they become mm-hmm. reality because there was no way that a manufacturing process, a mold could have made that or anything. Right. Uh, it's, but I mean, I think, I think your board game example is awesome. And there are a lot of board game uh, people out there that are really um, diving into the 3D world and printing parts. But I mean, think about how neat would it be if you, you know, were able to make a, like a, a board game piece with your kid's face on it, you know, and give it to them as a present. Or, uh, I mean... And granted, those are those are really kind of just fun applications. Three um, D printing has very practical applications as well. I, I for example, fixed my ice maker uh, last week, or actually about a month ago. Sorry, not last week. It seems like it was last week. Uh, you know, so instead of having to buy the one hundred dollar part that I could order it on the internet, you know, and then having to spend seventy five dollars for a repairman to come out and install it, I simply took the parts out. And I looked at it, and I go, and I said, "Okay, it's this one plastic piece." And how many times have you? you know, gone to have to get a car fixed or something. And they say, yep, you got to buy the whole thing. Even though that one plastic piece is all you need to broke, you got to buy that whole assembly. Well, what I did is I just, I went out and I printed a part. It didn't quite work the way I wanted it to. So I printed it again and then I printed it again. And after about three tries, I got what I needed and I put it in the ice maker and saved myself 175 bucks. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, So there's a really practical application uh, to 3D printing, just like there's a fun application, like, you know, printing out party favors or key rings, uh, so, all kinds of stuff. So we've got a few minutes here uh, left in the show. Uh, this has been a fascinating discussion. I think people are really taken with this whole 3D printer idea. In your case, you decided to launch – let's talk about your Kickstarter project here in the last few minutes. Uh-huh. A pretty ambitious goal, uh, and I'm going to guess – I hate to go out on a limb here, but I don't think you're going to hit your goal. Um, <laughs> So the question is going to be: uh, You are asking for five hundred thousand dollars for to help make these MakerBot, not MakerBots, excuse me, to help the TangiBot, the TangiBot uh, available. Uh, you've raised so far about ten percent of that. 
the project's going to end in about a week. Tell me kind of where do you go from here? What's, what's your plans with this idea? Because I can hear the passion, and obviously this is just simply a, a detour that you're going to have to take. What's the next step then, and what are your plans? Okay. Do you mind if I back up for a minute and explain why I decided to do it on Kickstarter to begin with? No, that's, that's great. We've okay. got about, and just to let you know, we've got about three minutes. That's all we've got about left. Okay, I'll, I'll try and keep it quick. Um, I come from, a, from, from the corporate world where if you want to build something, you go out and you ask someone to give you money to build it, and then you build it. Now, when someone gives you money, and I'm talking about lots of money, half a million, a million, three million dollars, they generally say, okay, I'm going to give you this money, but I need to make sure that it's protected and that you can do everything you can to make sure my money's secure. Uh, and what that usually means is you patent everything, you don't tell anyone what you're working on, and all people get to see is the end product. Well, since I am chose an open source design uh, to do my Tangibot with, I figured Kickstarter would be great because in a lot of ways, Kickstarter is like open source funding. It's funding that comes from the open source community. It's funding that comes from just the community in general. And it allows people to launch businesses without all the strings attached to it that, gen that come from general traditional financing. So that's sort of why I decided to start it on Kickstarter. Now, I knew it was a long shot. One, the price point's really high for a Tangibot. I mean, the, the starting price is $1,199, for, and that's high for a Kickstarter project. The other thing is, is because I'm working with a factory in China and one in the Philippines, I, I have an MOQ. That's a minimum order quantity. So I have to order a certain number, and that's why I had to – I needed basically 400 units, and that's why I picked half a million dollars. So I haven't given up on Kickstarter. I'm putting a lot of effort into it still, but you're right. It's not looking good at this point. Um, I didn't put all my eggs in the Kickstarter basket, though. I have been pursuing other more traditional lines of financing – the problem then becomes is I may be limited in what I can give to the open source community and what I can't. Uh, and so I thought, hey, I'm going to try this on Kickstarter because if the open source community will support it, then every advancement that I make on my designs in the future, I'll be able to give back to the open source community and we'll all be able to you know, kind of build the 3D community together. Um, if I have to go with more traditional financing, I'd still like to help build the community. I just, there'll be other people that kind of put you know, constraints on what I'm allowed to and, and not allowed to do. Sure. And that's, and that's understandable. On the flip side, though, you have been able to successfully show that you've raised $50,000 in the first go-around. Mm -hmm. um, Correct. And the thing that we all know about Kickstarter is that if, you, if at first you don't succeed, simply relaunch uh, with the transformation. Find a different way of doing it. Find, you know, mm -hmm. Overcome some of those challenges. So uh, I think that your passion is there, and I think you have enough interest from backers out there that you should be able to find a way to make this successful. Matt, yeah, I, I think I, def I, I definitely agree. And I, it, it, if it's not Kickstarter, it, it'll be someplace else. I'm, I'm not going away. This is something that I want to see happen. I finally decided what I want to be when I grow up, and, and now I'm going to do it. Well, I certainly appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk to us about this project to kind of explain a little bit about the 3D printers and what you've done in the background. Uh, this, this sounds exciting, and we'll be really interested to see what comes out in the future. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Funding the Dream. We've been talking to Matt Strong, uh, who has Tangibot on Kickstarter, a 3D printer from open source to allow just about anybody to have your Star Trek replicator in your own kitchen. That's the way I look at it. Kind of cool. Uh, this has been Episode <laughs> 78. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you've heard something that has inspired you. 
Uh, and uh, I know I have, and I'm looking forward to seeing your creation out on the Internet so that we can back it on Kickstarter. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.